0: The idea goes throughout the end of the book as we think about all that we have in Christ and how we are to submit ourselves to his life in us as we seek to live lives that produce righteousness, even as we are to love one another, that is, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But this morning we will particularly be looking at our glorification in Christ. Christ, our glorification in Christ. So as you turn to 1 John chapter 3, we will focus in on verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer and ask that He would be with us uh, this morning as we hear from His word. Let us pray together. Father, what a glorious truth this is for us to sing. That in your word you have the word of life, insomuch that the word reveals to us the person and work of Jesus Christ. From Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, we see the plan of the Father unfold as he predicted the Christ to come in the Old Testament, as he fulfilled that coming in the person and work of Jesus Christ through the Gospels. And even as your holy apostles began to expound upon and to preach the glories of our union with Christ, our identification with him, our position and condition in who Christ is and what he has done for us as we are united by faith to him. So, Father, would you do a work in our hearts this morning that only you can do through your spirit would you impress upon us even the hope of eternal life, even the hope of glorification, as we groan inwardly, awaiting the redemption of the sons of God. Father, would you strengthen us with this truth this morning? We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, beloved, we have been working through 1 John chapter 2, Verse 28 all the way down to chapter 3, verse 9, over the last few weeks. And what we have been seeing is that John moves from his concern in verse 27 into verse 28, and he carries over some of his ideas and thoughts from verse 27 into verse 28. Notice it with me together this morning. 1 John chapter 27 or chapter 2, verse 27, going into verse 28. John, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, penned for us this morning these words. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing... That John is concerned with the particular content of the Spirit's teaching to the believer. He says in verse 27. first reality found in verses uh, 28 where he says and now little children abide in him so that when he appears you may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming you see beloved on that great day when we stand before the judgment seat of christ and give an account all of our righteous works will be as filthy rags And we will stand before the judge of all things, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And therefore, take heart, take heart, beloved, that you can have confidence in Christ, not in your good works, but in Christ on that great day. The second thing that we noticed in verse 29, especially, and then as he expounds that all the way down into chapter 3, verse 9, is that Jesus Christ is the source of our sanctification. That we are righteous even as he is righteous. And therefore, we ought to purify ourselves even as he is pure. As we abide in Christ, we will do righteousness, as John says throughout the text. We will remain in the source and we will produce that which the source produces. If we abide in Christ, we cannot sin because there is no sin in Jesus Christ. And to finish this passage up, we notice thirdly that Christ is the foundation and the source, even the fountainhead of our glorification. Excuse me. We know that as we abide in Christ and are found in him on that great day, we will be glorified even as he is glorified. And so this morning, as we finish up this passage of scripture, what I'd like to look at, if you are following along in your bulletin inserts, is that we will be glorified in Christ Jesus we will be glorified in Christ Jesus. Notice what the text says to us this morning. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, down to verse 3. He says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. What we notice at the outset of chapter 3 is that John marvels at a few realities. Notice what the text says at the beginning. It says, see or behold what manner of love the Father has for us. John's desire for us this morning is to stop for a second and to consider the great realities of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He marvels, beloved, and we should marvel this morning that we have been made the children of God. Daniel Aiken said this on this text, and I thought it was a, a good quote from his commentary. He said, you can find it on the bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. He says, the imperative that is to behold or to see calls for direct attention and reflection upon the amazing love God has bestowed upon his children. Being a child of God stirs within John a sense of wonder, awe, and amazement. The expression carries both a qualitative and a quantitative force. What glorious, measureless love. Originally, the adjective meant of what country, Stott captures this original sense when he writes, The Father's love is so unearthly, so foreign to this world that John wonders from what country it may come. God's love is foreign to humankind in that we cannot understand the magnitude of such love. It astonishes, amazes, and creates wonder within those who pray. Properly reflect upon it. See, beloved, what we should do this morning and every morning and every afternoon and every evening when we go to bed at night and when we rise in the morning, we ought to marvel at the realities of who God is and what He has secured for us. What we learn from John here. And we will learn more extensively later is that God is love and that from that love, he does good to us. Psalm 13 verse 5 and 6 says this, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, the love that John has in mind here is more than just physical provision. Although God does abundantly give us all good things to enjoy within his creation, he provides so much more than that. You see, beloved, he abundantly blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as Ed uh, read for us this morning, From Ephesians chapter 1. God in His Son has given to us all that we need to meet us in our spiritual depravity. At the heart of God's love is the giving of His Son Jesus Christ in order that we might be given first a new status, but also all the blessings of Christ Jesus as we are called children of God. What is that marvelous thing that John wants us to understand this morning and therefore to worship him? Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. God has loved us, and he has done infinitely good to us in Jesus Christ by giving us a new status, by remaking our inner man, and by one day transforming our outer natures to match our regeneration. John, in our text for this morning, marvels that we should be transformed on that great day into the image of Jesus Christ when he returns. You see, what we've been learning throughout this text is that we have been recreated on the inside, but we have yet to be recreated on the outside. We have been regenerated, but we have yet to be resurrected. But, beloved, we know that Christ has been resurrected. And therefore we know that one day too we will be resurrected in his glorious nature at the resurrection. Notice what John says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. He says, "Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When we read the scripture, we understand that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead in the book of Colossians. That is to say that Jesus was the first in history to be fully resurrected and glorified. Now, that is not to say that there aren't other resurrections that happen in the Bible. There are a few. Lazarus, for example, is resurrected from the dead by Jesus. Elijah raised Zarephath's son from the dead in 1 Kings 17, verse 19 and 21. Even Peter raised Tabitha from the dead in the book of Acts. But you see, these were raised from the dead only To die again. Jesus is the first in history to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Jesus is the first in history to receive his glorified body. And this glorification of Christ promises that those who are united to Christ will one day receive glorified bodies. Turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, notice with me verse 20. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 says this, the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to Christ notice we see in 1st corinthians chapter 15 that paul here refers to the first fruits of jesus's resurrection twice now the idea of first fruits is that of a crop that was the first to come from the harvest and that First fruit harvest was a promise that more was to come. And often that first fruits signified not only the quantity but also the quality of the coming harvest. And so if the first fruits were sweet and plump, then the harvest could be expected to be sweet and plump. If the first fruits were dried and nasty, then you could imagine that the harvest would be dry and nasty. But that is not the case with Jesus Christ, beloved. As we look at the resurrection of Christ and his glorification, and he is the first fruits we can anticipate what we will expect for ourselves in the resurrection this is what paul is saying in 1 corinthians chapter 15 verse 20 it's what john is saying in 1 john chapter 3 we know that which we are looking forward to because christ has gone before us what Jesus is now in his glorified body, we too will one day be. And so it is as if he is saying in our text that we are children now and Jesus is glorified now. And so the fact that we are children now in our connection to Christ Means that we too will be glorified in our connection to Christ. So then, what does that look like exactly? What can we anticipate we will be like when Christ returns? What I want to do this morning is spend a little bit of time unpacking this reality. By seeking to understand a statement. And this is the statement. If you're writing notes down, you might want to write it down. How can we know, or what will we be like, when we are resurrected on that day? Here it is Both our bodies and spirits will be fully transformed in the resurrection. Both our bodies and spirits will be fully transformed in the resurrection. That is to say that on that day, we will be free from the curse of sin in both our bodies and our minds, or our hearts, or our spirits. Whatever words you want to use there, I think is appropriate. Now both of these statements, I think, offer up hope for us, and so let's consider them both. The first statement, if you're following along in your insert bu- in the insert in your bulletin, is this. Our bodies will be transformed. Our bodies will be transformed. What we learn from scripture is that the body we have now will be wholly and fully transformed in the age to come that the infirmities of both body and spirit will be done away with and we will no longer struggle with physical limitations and our hearts will be free from sin and wholly devoted to God. I trust that you are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice what Paul says down a little bit further in verse 35. Verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For star differ from star in glory. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Verse 45, thus it is written, The first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man. What do we learn from Paul here in this text? We learn that the body that we now have will be transformed into something that we have no comprehension of. Because we now have this natural body that will one day be raised to a spiritual body. Which means that the spirit of God will sustain us for all eternity. Our mortal bodies, that which we have now, are perishable and dishonored and weak and natural, but they will one day be transformed, beloved, to be imperishable, to be glorious, to be powerful, and to be spiritual, and the question that I have for myself, even as I prepared this text and that I even have for you this morning is are you longing for that great day? Are you longing for the day when you will no longer have to suffer from infirmities of both mind and spirit? Paul says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we are unclothed, but that we should be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Even as we read in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning that the transformation of the Holy Spirit on the inside is an indication. It's a first fruits that one day our whole bodies will be transformed. And therefore, beloved, we will no longer experience death. We will no longer experience sickness. We will no longer experience death. Decay. We will no longer experience weakness. Our bodies now are torn and battered, but in the resurrection they will be strong and perfect. Revelation 21 4. Our bones are broken, but in the resurrection they will be fortified. Our hearts are heavy, but in the resurrection they will soar. You see, we are God's children now. But what we will be has not yet appeared because Jesus has not yet appeared to resurrect his saints. And when he does, beloved, all of our infirmities will be gone. But you see, this isn't the only thing that we can anticipate. And though my aches in my bones Bother me, there is something so much greater, beloved, that bothers me. There is something so much greater that vexes my soul, and I trust vexes your soul this morning. And it is that old rebellious spirit of the flesh. And yet, beloved, we can anticipate that on that great day, even that which plagues us. The sin of death will be done away with. And we will be transformed to no longer rebel against a holy God. Not only will our bodies be transformed, but our spirits will be transformed in Christ. Now we see this in our text, First John chapter 3. So if you're in 1 Corinthians 15, I invite you to turn back to First John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Remember what John is saying here. John is saying here that we don't yet know what we will fully be but we know what christ is and we know that we will be as christ is in his glorification when he returns and on the basis of that he says that we should purify ourselves even as he is pure and the implication here is that christ is now Absolutely pure, and we will one day too be absolutely pure because we will be like He is. And since we have this down payment, since we have the Holy Spirit that is righteous and pure in all that He does, we should now, even now, purify ourselves. The point of this text is that one day we will be wholly pure, and that purity has been given to us now even in the regeneration, as we have been made children of God. And therefore, what does John mean when he says that we will be pure even as Christ is pure? The term for pure means innocent or chaste or signifies moral purity, and sincerity. It's similar to the concept conveyed in Ephesians chapter 5 as it relates to the end of our sanctification, where it says, so that he might present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she may be holy and without blemish. You see, beloved, we long for that day when Christ will present us as a holy bride without wrinkle or spot or blemish. And therefore, what we learn from John here in this text is that in our glorification, our thoughts and our inner motivations will be without stain and the corruption of sin. Beloved, on that great day, try to imagine if you could and I know it's impossible to do so, but on that day, we will not have any ill thought or desire. On that day, our motivations, even our motivation to worship and glorify God will be wholly pure. There will be no rebellious spirit any longer to pump our fists at the holy and righteous God. You see, our inner and our outer man will be fully transformed and we will be even as Christ is now. What a hope for us. What a love from God. What a motivation for service. We serve in the power now of what we will be then, because we have a portion of that power in our rebirth into Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are to serve in the power of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, Romans chapter seven, verse six. We are to continually transform our outer reality to align with our inner reality and not conform our inner reality by our outer reality. We are to transform by the renewing of our minds. We are to go to the word, and we are to see what it reveals to us about who Christ is and what he has done for us. And we are to plant ourselves deep down into those realities. You see, because, beloved, even now we have the down payment of what we will be through the Holy Spirit. And therefore, beloved, on the basis of this, we should purify ourselves, even as he is pure. We should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, knowing, here this, that God both works and wills in us to do of his good pleasure. Jesus is working in and through us in order to accomplish his great desires for us. Remember, at the beginning of this text, John says, Abide in Christ so that you will have confidence on that great day, so that you will not sin, and even now so that you might purify yourself in the light of the one who is pure. And so what we've learned this morning, beloved from our text is that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. That Christ is the one who has gone before us. That even as Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead by the glory of the father. So too, we have experienced the resurrection of our souls and will one day experience the resurrection of our bodies. And we can long for this, and we can anticipate it. And as we do, as we walk on this earth, the apostle, through the Spirit of God, calls us to abide and remain and reside in Christ Jesus. Remember what John says to us in 1 John 2, verse 28. Look at it again with me, beloved. He says, and now, little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming look down at 1 john chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin no one who abides in him keeps on sinning or practices sin no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him at the heart of this text john is calling each and every single one of us to abide in christ now i have gotten a lot of questions from many of you about what does this mean exactly to abide in christ as we take that concept and we seek to apply it to our own lives What does it look like exactly? And so what I want to do in the remainder of our time this morning is I want to try to do my best this morning to simplify for us what it means to abide in Christ. And in order to do that, I want to give you a definition, my best attempt at a definition this morning. Now, it's going to be technical a bit, but I'm going to unpack it a little bit. And you wouldn't expect anything less from me. Amen. Right. So it's going to be a little bit technical. Deborah says, amen, amen. But we'll, we'll seek to unpack it. So if you're following along in your notes, notice this. What does it mean to abide in Christ? This is what it means. It means to remain in Christ, continually submitting, continually submitting. Submitting our subjective experience to his objective reality. All right, I told you it's going to be technical, but let's see if we can unpack it. Let me just say it again for those of you who are writing it down. To remain in Christ is to continually submit our subjective experience to his objective reality. Now that I've given you a technical definition, let me see if I can simplify it. Abiding in Christ means that we must always act in accordance with what we know is true of us in Christ and put to death what we know is true of us in Adam. If that's still too difficult, let me try to simplify it even more. To abide in Christ is to live according to Christ and not the old man. Let me do it another way. Let me seek to give you some biblical verbiage here. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means that we must walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Romans chapter 8, verse 4. To remain in Christ is to make our home in the realities and spiritual riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 through 6. To remain in Christ is to build our lives on the solid foundation of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 and 27 And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through 16. To abide in Christ, beloved, we must put our roots down into the deep soil of our position and condition in Christ. As it is revealed to us in the scripture. And we are to draw the nutrition, the strength and power for our fruit bearing from Christ and not from ourselves. John chapter 15. Now, what does this look like exactly? It's good theory, but let me see if I can break it down even more by how we experience this. And let me do so by adding or applying, rather, applying this idea of abiding in Christ first to our justification and then to our sanctification and finally to our glorification. And I want to do this this morning by asking you a series of questions. Here's the first. Beloved, do you ever feel condemned? Do you ever feel the weight of your sins resting heavy on your shoulders? When you sin, do you automatically look to God's justice And sense that you are an object of God's displeasure? Do you automatically feel that you are deserving of the punishment of eternal torment and hellfire? Are you ever burdened by the penalty of your sin and what you deserve according to righteousness and justice? See, beloved, often when I stand in this pulpit or I come down or I sit in my office on Monday morning, I feel like a failure. I often feel like I am unworthy of God's blessing. I often feel that I have let down my Lord and my Savior. Now, there's a word that I have intentionally stressed over and over and over again throughout this demonstration, and I hope that you have picked up on it. And it's the word feel. You see, often we live according to what we feel and not what we know. Let me repeat that, because I think it's so important for us to get in our day and age and in our culture So often, beloved, we live according to what we feel and not what we know. Now, that isn't to say that knowing who we are in Christ shouldn't produce certain feelings within us. It should. But the reality is that our feelings often dictate how we see ourselves and not the reverse, Instead, how we see ourselves in Christ should affect how we feel. So then, how do we counter these feelings? We preach Christ to our feelings and even to our false thinking. Do you feel condemned? Well, John says that those who remain in Christ will have confidence on judgment day. Do you feel like the object of God's displeasure? Well, Paul says that you are found in the beloved son in whom God is well pleased. Do you feel the weight of the burden of your sins? Well, Jesus declares that you are to take your yoke upon him because his burden is light. Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 do you feel that you are undeserving of God's blessing? That is absolutely true in Adam. But in Christ, we receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What does it mean to remain in Christ for our justification? It means that everything we are before the Father and everything we have from the Father is on the basis of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so the Spirit is calling us to repent of our feelings and to trust in Christ. Make your home in the glorious realities of who you are in Jesus. Set your anchor in the dock of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. But secondly, how do we abide in Christ for our sanctification? Might I ask you another series of questions to drive the point home? Beloved, do you ever feel angry at your brothers and sisters? Or your family? Or your kids? Or your parents? Or your coworkers? Do you ever feel anxious about the world and its state of affairs? Do you feel the passions of the flesh and the lust of sexual desires pulsing through your body? Do you feel the depression of past failures and of future hopelessness? Again, notice with me that these perspectives are sourced in our feelings and not what we know In Christ, how do we remain in Christ in our sanctification? If you feel angry, beloved, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself that in Christ, your anger has been done away with. And that now in Christ, you have forgiveness and patience and Christ has forgiveness and patience in you preach to yourself that the old man is dead and you are a new creation in Christ. Beloved, do you ever feel anxious? Well, then preach to yourself that Christ controls all things, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 7, both in the world and in the church, and you are victorious in Christ. Do you feel the passions of your flesh overwhelming you? Then preach to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ that in him you have died to the flesh with its lusts and passions, and that he has been crucified with Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. In all of this, we walk by the Spirit. We walk by what has been revealed to us in Scripture and confirmed in our own hearts. That we are no longer what we used to be. But we are new creations in Christ. Finally, as we close, how do we apply abiding in Christ to our glorification? Hear this, beloved. Do you feel the pain of decay in your body? Are you frustrated by your physical limitations? Are you afraid to put your physical life on the line for the gospel? Are you weary in your struggle against sin? Then I would commend to you, beloved, look to Christ and his resurrection. Look to Christ and the life that is to come. Look to Christ and the freedom that you will have from your failing body and even from the plague of sin. As we anticipate that even as Christ is now, we will one day be. To remain in Christ for our glorification is to live this life always with a view of the life to come. For Paul declared in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is abiding in Christ. Live your lives according to what you know is true of you in Christ and not what the flesh is trying to convince you of. Abide in him, beloved. Abide in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your grace this morning. We're so thankful for everything that you have done for us, continue to do for us, and will do for us in Christ Jesus. Father, may we rest in him. Father, would would we cease from our strivings to perform and to please Father, would we strive, but may we strive to be found in Christ. May we strive to be accepted in the beloved. May we strive to walk by the Spirit. Father, may we strive to transform our minds by the renewing of the word. Father, may we give ourselves to this, and may we purify ourselves even as he is pure. We're so thankful for it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you rise with us now as we sing our final song of response, the wonderful cross, which will lead us then into a time of communion.